Hey Center Ray Church, happy Daylight Saving Sunday. I'm Tara and we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Hi, I'm Priscilla and welcome to those of you gathered on the live platform on Sunday morning. Please feel free to say hi in the chat and we would love to get started and see all your comments. And a special hello to our student watch party <laughs> and any other watch parties out there. And hello to anyone watching or listening to this later on in the week. We'd also like to take a minute to acknowledge any guests we have joining us for the first time. You're about to hear us talk through some information that hopefully will be able to help everybody, but is really geared toward your first visit at Centerway. We trust that some Sunday soon we'll be able to meet in person, but we're grateful for this online interaction today. We obviously can't cover everything you want to know, so feel free to check out our website for additional information. And if you're gathering live, there are some helpful tabs right on the online platform. You can share your information with us, and that will help us follow up and get feedback. You can also explore next steps and previous messages, and if you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. If you have any questions or would like prayer during the gathering, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. Many of those things can happen through our website if you're not on the live platform and instead watching or listening later in the week. In addition, and this goes for our guests and anyone else gathering, please reach out if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer. We would love to connect with you. Email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now, besides reaching out via email, there are other ways for you to connect and engage after this gathering. You can find us on social media and make use of the resources on our website. On the messages page, you'll find all the audio and video files of the messages, including a message just for kids, which is great if you have kids in your home. They learn from the same scripture text each week, so you'll be able to discuss the application together. Also on that page, you'll find wallpaper images, links to the Spotify playlist for this series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. And a side note about the devotionals, if you want to receive them directly to your inbox on those days, you can subscribe on the Next Steps, on the Next Steps page of the website. And also on the Next Steps page are additional resources and ways to grow. Before we wrap up here, we want to mention a couple dates for you to put on your calendar. Both of these will be in-person gatherings. One is a vision meeting on Sunday, March 28th at 4 p.m. That'll be in addition to our regular Sunday morning gathering. It's geared toward our Centerway stewards, but it's open to anyone who wants to be there. The second one, and oh my gosh, I'm so excited to announce this, is Easter Sunday. We're able to meet in person for Easter, and we can't wait to be with you all. That gathering will be at 4 p.m. on April 4th, and there will also be an online option at the same time on the same day. All the details are on the calendar page of the website and you'll be receiving info via email as well. I am so I looking forward to Easter. Yay. It has been too long. <laughs> now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Amy will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible and then Priscilla and I will close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. We have a really unique application today, so be sure to stay till the end. And then right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Before we get to the scripture reading, here's a quick message from Meredith, one of our lead pastors. Thanks ladies and good morning, Centerway. Claude and I just wanna take a minute to acknowledge the fact that one year ago this weekend, March 15, 2020, was the first Sunday we began gathering online. One year, can you believe it? 
Uh, at the time, we had no idea how long shutdown would last, and we certainly never guessed that we would still be gathering online one year later. Um, now, if you're new to Centerway, we were about 18 months old when everything shut down. And so we were, and we still are, a mobile church, which means we don't have our own space. As you can imagine, it's pretty difficult to find locations that are willing to allow us to lease or rent or use their facility. And so we continue to be online for the time being. Uh, but here's some encouragement to go along with that reality. One, as Tara and Priscilla just mentioned, we will be able to gather in person uh, twice in the coming weeks for whoever's comfortable uh, while providing an online uh, gathering for those that aren't able to join us in person. And that's really exciting. Uh, and two, and more importantly, Jesus continues to build his church no matter where or how we gather. On March 15th, uh, 2020, I said something that we still believe. Now, this isn't an exact quote if you look back at the video, but I said something along the lines of how we don't believe that we're bringing church to your home by sharing messages and singing and providing opportunity to give. We explain that we value those things, but those things don't make a church. You are the church. The church is people, all of us, on mission seven days a week, being gospel-centered influencers in our spheres of life. Now, our culture at Centerway has always been that Sundays are important and should be prioritized. They're a time that we get to worship together and invite friends and deepen relationships. But Sunday gatherings are not the thing. It's not a, a spiritual box that we just check and move on. You know, it has to be that in addition to being on mission the other six days. But here's something I know that may be happening to you. Weariness can set in. Discouragement may set in. You may be tempted to treat gathering uh, for church as optional or do it only when it's convenient. Uh, but being in community is a big part of preventing those realities. And so when church, as we know it, changed, we all had to become even more disciplined and intentional about staying in gospel-centered community. So if you're feeling disconnected, lean in. Maybe you're not, maybe you're feeling more connected than ever. But if you are, have a watch party. Gather in person when you can, be part of a circle. Remind your soul of what being the church really is because it's really worth it. We really need each other. And I may be biased, but uh, I'm pretty sure I am, but we have a pretty incredible church family. And we've been really amazed over the last year how much lean in there's been from familiar faces and even new faces gathering online, which is super exciting. Uh, we've been really encouraged how much you've all grown spiritually, how much we've all grown spiritually, right in the middle of like kind of this crazy unexpected time. Uh, been amazed how you found unique way to serve, uh, how generous you've continued to be when the world says, you know, hang on to every dollar you have during these uncertain times, but you've continued to be generous. And we've just been amazed how we've all learned to innovate together in this season. Uh, we'll talk about some of the impact that Centerway has had on the community uh, during the vision meeting coming up, but we just wanted to take this quick minute and acknowledge both how wonderfully you've navigated this last year as a church and as well as the toll that it can take on us and just kind of encourage you. Uh, we just want you to continue leaning into Jesus and leaning into gospel-centered community. We're really so expectant for what God is up to in the life of our young church. Uh, we love you all so much and we pray for you regularly and we're always here if you need anything. Uh, we're just really grateful, you know, to be part of Centerway and we're grateful uh, to gather again today online. Uh, so let's get ready to hear the word together. And here's Amy with the text for today. Good morning, church family. I'm Amy, and I'm going to be reading scripture this morning from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. 
And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Have a great morning. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude and uh, my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Really excited you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our Greater Expectations series. Uh, this morning's message is entitled Trust. And so we're going to be talking about greater expectations in the context of trust. And when we start talking about trust, honestly, I could come up with a million different examples and illustrations of either how uh, I have issues with trust or people have had issues trusting me. Um, but one of the, the things that really came to the forefront of my mind was something that I experienced while looking at a video on a face group um, Facebook group. And uh, the Facebook group is one that um, is uh, for the Adirondacks, uh, hiking in the Adirondacks. And so some of you, if you're part of that group, you may have even seen this video. Uh, it's a video of a, of a fairly well-known part of a trail where you have to walk across floating logs. And uh, on this video, there's this group of people, I don't know if they're family or just friends, but they have made it through the floating logs and they have a video of, of just the, the humor around that because uh, the last grouping of logs sinks really significantly. And so they thought they were prepared for it. But as they get closer to those logs, it's like the water goes up to their waist. And so there's this guy laughing about it. And he's kind of covered in mud and water and they're taking off their water shoes. And all of a sudden in the midst of this video, uh, another group starts to head through and specifically a woman is starting to come across these floating logs. And she has water shoes on. She's taken her hiking boots off. She has water shoes on. She's coming across this log. And it has sunk down probably about six inches to a foot. And uh, so as she's coming across these logs, the woman recording tells her friend or husband or son, I'm not sure what, uh, hey, you should let this woman know that the last logs are going to sink significantly, like help her out. And so he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he kind of goes back and he says, and you can see him talking to her. He's saying, hey these really go down low. And she's like, okay, I got it. And he's like, no, no, not like the logs you're on. Like these really sink down far, like, like 
up to your chest, maybe even over your head. And, and she's like, I've got it. I've got it. And he's like, no, you need to trust me. Like this last one, you think you understand, but it goes down like really far right here. And so she looks at him with like this annoyed look on her face. And she goes, I understand. I've got it. He goes, okay, okay. And so he turns towards the, the camera, walks back and he's like, I, I don't know if she just doesn't trust me or if she's a superhero or what. And so sure enough, this woman walks across, starts to step on the next log and they yell out, just take your pack off. Just take your pack off and hold it up. Like just in case it goes down, what's the harm in holding your pack up? And so she looks over, she's like, I've got it. Trust me, I've got it. And so she steps onto this log and it starts kind of a little drop her second or third step, sure enough, this log just plummets down and she gets submerged into the water, like up to her armpits. Her pack starts floating. She starts to kind of swim. As a result, the log comes up. It's just, it is an absolute mess. She's frustrated, embarrassed, and they're saying, I, I told you, and they're trying to help her out and she's just so annoyed. And I, as I was watching that, it just came to mind this idea that we all have trust issues. And it came right to the front of my mind as I started thinking about greater expectations in the context of trust. We think in any situation, in every situation, that we can certainly trust ourselves, that we can trust our perspective, that we know exactly what's going to happen. And when someone that we don't trust tries to give us advice or insight, we hesitate. We don't consider that they have a different perspective, a different experience. It's because there's this root issue of trust connected with what we believe to be our expectations in trusting ourselves. So the question I want to ask is this, why do we sometimes let circumstances affect what we believe? Why do we sometimes let circumstances affect what we believe? whether it's what we believe about a situation, what we believe about an outcome of a situation, what we believe in general, what we're capable of, like all that stuff is wrapped up into a circumstance that in that moment, there's trust on the line. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we get caught up in moments. We just get caught up in the moment. A situation or a circumstance arises and we decide that we have to take action or make a decision. And maybe you're a little uh, less decisive, maybe even a bit of a procrastinator potentially. And I want to tell you if that's the case, if you um, aren't quite as decisive and you're like, I don't know that I feel pressure to make decisions in moments or circumstances, I want to let you know that there's a, a dirty little secret. The dirty little secret is this. It's all the same root issue. Let me explain. If you decide not to make a decision, that's a decision you've made. You've decided, right? If you make a decision to procrastinate, you've decided, right? So it's a decision, whether you're decisive in the moment or if you make the decision to be indecisive or make the decision to be a procrastinator. All of it comes back down to the same root issue of making a decision. As humans, Christian or not, we decide. We decide. We decide something in that moment. This woman had a decision. Now, I don't know what the circumstances of her life was. I don't know if, if the guy just looked shady to her or if she was frustrated with them. Maybe she interacted with them earlier on the trail. I, I don't know all of the circumstances, but the fact is in that moment, she made a decision 
and she trusted herself over this guy's advice. Oftentimes, oftentimes how we view the situation we're in influences what we believe about ourselves and what we can or cannot accomplish. It's all wrapped up in that, right? Whether we, whether we want to admit it or not, if you think about that, if you unpack it, that's what decisiveness is. Decisiveness is, it's a declaration of trust. What you're saying in that moment, if you're a decisive person, is you're saying, I trust what I think about this. I can make a decision because I trust my opinion. I trust the information I've gathered. Decisiveness is a declaration of trust in yourself. Indecisiveness, in the same way, is a declaration. It's a declaration that I don't trust what I think about this. I don't trust what I think about this. I I don't trust that people will be accepting of the decision I want to make. And, And the list goes on. But the fact is, it comes back down to this issue of trust and decision making. The root issue is trust. Where we place it and how it informs our expectations. This is huge because trust is actually the foundation for faith. We have faith in the things that we trust, or we lack faith in the things we're not sure we can trust. Not only is this a humanity issue, but it's also not new, right? It's as old as time. This is what even the disciples are dealing with when Jesus comes down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John. If you were with us last week, we've, we've just experienced the glory of God. What's articulated is the transfiguration. And so they, they've just experienced the glory of God and they're coming down the mountain, Jesus, James, Peter, and John. And as they come down, they're confronted immediately with a demonic activity and an argument in the midst of this demonic activity. I mean, the, the juxtaposition alone demands our attention. There's something to learn here for sure. To give a little bit more context, Jesus and the three disciples have come down the mountain to find the remaining disciples, those that did not go with him, arguing specifically with scribes, as you've just heard read a moment ago. And Jesus addresses the situation kind of head on. We see in verse 16, this is what takes place. And he asked, meaning Jesus, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So we're not sure really if he's speaking to the disciples at that point, if he's speaking uh, to the scribes, but the fact is he's wondering what is this argument all about? And what's interesting is the only person he was not clearly speaking to is the one that answers. The father of this boy answers Jesus in verses 17 through 18. He says this, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. So it's the father. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And they were not able. This is a big deal. It's a big deal to the the disciples in their formation of their theology and their understanding of the authority that they have because of who Jesus is. And, And it's also a big deal because the scribes are following Jesus around and they're looking for there to be a gap or some way that they can accuse him of something. And, and it appears as if something's not working. Something's not working. Is God's power not sufficient enough? What is the issue here? We can learn a couple of things from this interaction, just from these two verses before we move deeper into the implications here. The first thing that we can learn from this couple of verses is that we can see the destructive power of evil, the destructive power on the physical body of this young boy. You know, what's interesting is evil 
seems harmless. I think in our society, we've almost romanticized what could be classified as evil things. Sometimes evil even seems attractive, whether it's external or something that we entertain in our minds. But the truth is evil is evil and it ultimately leads to death. Now, I don't understand or, or know as a result of what the scripture reveals what it is that, that this boy has engaged in or what has brought him to this point in his life, but we do know that it's demonic in influence. And we know that sin separates us from God, that evil is evil, and that sin is evil. And so as a result, we don't know that this boy is in this condition because of sin or anything like that, but we know that there's evil influence. And so because of that, we can make a correlation as to what it is that we can learn from this. It would be easy to say, well, you know, I'm not like that little boy. I don't have that situation. And so there's nothing really applicable here. But the reality is evil is sin. Like sin is evil. And so there's something for us to learn here, the consequences of sin. And then we can make that correlation and say, okay, sometimes sin seems harmless. Sometimes sin even seems attractive. It seems like it's not going to really hurt us, that we can entertain it, that it even maybe uh, feels rewarding in some way to our flesh. But ultimately, it leads to death. You know, if you could see clearly the consequences, I wonder how often we would engage evil or sin. You know, the, the harmless uh, double look at someone the thoughts that we entertain in our hearts and minds, the expectations that we have of others, the way we wish they were like someone else, the things that we entertain, we don't often go to the, the full extent and say, wait, this isn't just a moment that I'm entertaining this. This is building on something. I'm entertaining evil. I, I'm entertaining and engaging sinful thoughts. And as a result, there's going to be repercussions for that. There will be consequences. No one sees the end of a relationship. No one sees an addiction. No one sees the end result of those beginning moments. I think that's some of what we need to understand in this moment is that we can make no mistake. Sin will destroy our relationships. It will destroy our body. It will destroy our mind and even destroy our soul. Sin leads to death. And so we're talking about a serious thing. That's one of the things we can learn from this text. There's something very serious here. The second thing that we can learn is that what we see here is that humanity's inability to overcome evil. Humanity's inability to overcome evil. The disciples were not able. They were not able. So we've got this, just to summarize a little bit. We've got evil or sin that leads to separation from God. It leads ultimately to death. And then the reality that we can't overcome evil. Wow, that's encouraging, right? It's devastating. It's devastating. When we come to that realization, we say, so then is there no hope? Yes, there is no hope. <laughs> Here's to hope that you just remained with us so you can hear the rest of the story. Because what I'm saying is that there is no hope, especially if our expectations are rooted in trusting ourselves. If we are the, are the linchpin here. If we are where we find our faith and our hope, 
and our expectations, then yeah, I would say there is no hope. And some of us experience that. You know what you're talking about to really put all your eggs in the basket of you figuring out your system only to feel like the floating logs beneath you are sinking. And even though others told you it would happen, here you are in that moment and you're incapable of helping yourself. And it happens time and time again. When we trust in ourselves, eventually it falls short. It falls short. So... This is what we've got in verse 19. And he answered them. This is Jesus speaking. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. Jesus is saying something pretty profound here. He's not, he's not like casting judgment on the group there. He's articulating this this, I, I assume, a frustration. I can't really speak to what he's feeling, but he's articulating the reality that there's self-reliance happening. As much as he has revealed himself to be God, as much as they have seen him do all of these works, the disciples, the moment Jesus is not present with them, try and do something apart from him. He says, just bring the boy to me. I can't believe we're still dealing with self-reliance. You see, Jesus overcomes one more time, as he has all throughout the book of Mark, he overcomes evil. He overcomes it. So apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Listen, apart from me, you still don't realize you can't do anything. But through Jesus, we can be more than conquerors, is what scripture says. Listen, the problem isn't that we trust. It's what or who we trust in. Let me say that again. So we as humans, we will trust. And the problem isn't that we have to stop trusting or that we have to somehow stop our our faith leanings. The problem is who or what we trust in. Trust in God always, always allows us to have greater expectations. Can always have greater expectations when we trust in God. Get this, if you or I could overcome evil, if we were capable of overcoming sin, then Jesus would not have had to come and die the death that we deserve, right? We could just trust ourselves and we could perform. We could be better people. We could always be right. We could never make a mistake. Like if that was possible, if perfection was possible, then Jesus would not have had to come. He wouldn't have had to come to earth. And so when we lean and trust in ourselves We're literally dismissing the truth and the impact of the gospel in and through our lives. Have you tried that? Have you tried to trust yourself to perform enough, to be good enough? Have you tried enough to finally say to God, what I'm doing isn't working. Your perspective is better than mine. You know things I just, I don't know. I can't set myself free. As much as I say I never will again, I only return to do again. As much as I I promise that I will not, I do. The only way to find true joy is not in my own performance. God, I fall short at every turn. Have you come to that place yet? Because that's what the Father does. 
That's what this father is in the midst of. He does that right in verse 22. In verse 22, we continue in the story and he's talking to Jesus about his son's struggle. He says this, and it is, uh, says from childhood in the verse prior and then, it, and then it picks up in verse 22. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him because that's what evil does. It destroys, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The father is basically saying, I've come to the end of myself. I've tried everything. But I'm watching, I'm watching my son be destroyed. There's, there's nothing I can do in and of myself. Is there any way? Is there any way, God, that you can help me? I mean, I've tried everything else. It's so sad that we have to come to that place that we've tried trusting ourselves, that we've tried trusting others, that we've tried trusting in relationships, that we've tried trusting in money, possessions, promotions, better schools, making the team, you name it, the list goes on until finally we realize, wait, none of it's working. None of it's working, God. Could you, could you do something here? Verse 23, I love it, says, And Jesus said to him, If you can, if you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus is saying the issue is not my ability. The issue is not God's ability. The issue is not God's willingness. The issue is the Father's faith. The Father's faith. Now, here's a trap. Here's a trap where we get some really poor theology. Because he's talking about issue of the Father's existence of faith. You have no faith in God, is essentially what he's saying. Is Prior to this, you have not displayed faith in God. Some people think he's saying he needs more faith. Like, you just need to have more faith. If you only had more faith, then I would intervene. The problem isn't my ability or my willingness. The problem is you don't have enough faith. Or, listen, your faith is there, but it's just not good faith. You need to have better faith, like more pure faith. I want to tell you that that, that type of theology, that type of uh, assumption about this is really me-based. That's all about me. If we're talking about my need for more faith or my need for better faith or the volume of faith, then what we're talking about is me trusting in my ability to muster up quality faith. That's a me thing. That's not a God thing, and that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not talking about the quality of his faith. In fact, Jesus says at one point that all we need is the faith of a mustard seed to move mountains. Just a little bit of faith in God. Listen, it's not the quality or the volume of your faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith. What are you putting? Who are you putting your faith in? Here's the proof. The proof of what I'm talking about. I love this verse. Verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love this verse. Immediate, in response to Jesus saying, you lack faith in God. He immediately, the father cries out 
says, I believe, help my unbelief. I love the honesty of it. I love the humanity of it. I love it because, and I've mentioned this verse weeks ago, because I think we mystify faith. I think we turn it into to something that's unattainable or, or something that we have to, like I said, muster up or clarify or have enough of. But the truth is we as humans have doubts. We have doubts. And, and what this man is saying is, listen, I've come to the end of myself. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to act like, Hey, I have faith, Lord, heal him. Like great point, Jesus. I've evaluated. Now I have more faith, better faith, quality faith. Go and heal my son. No, just the humanity of, I believe. Oh, and help my unbelief (laughs) because I'm still struggling. God, I'm still struggling. The truth is we have doubts. And that's okay. It's okay because doubts cause us to evaluate where we've put our trust, to evaluate where we've put our faith, to evaluate what are our expectations. When you doubt something, you start to question things. And I would encourage you to question things so that you can evaluate, hey, where has, where has putting my, my trust in myself really led me? Where has putting my faith in my friends really brought me to? And so I love that at this point, we're caused to evaluate our trust and our expectations. Is your faith in this world and in this world system, faith in yourself, or do you have faith in God? Do you trust God? Are you standing there looking back and saying, well, the log I was just on sunk about six inches or so. I think I'm good. And God's trying to say, no, but you don't understand the bigger picture here. And I think I got it. I think I got this thing called life. I have an expectation. I realize the consequences and the risk involved here. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I got this. Hear this. God is for you. He is for you. God is for you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to manipulate you. He doesn't want a poor outcome for your life. He doesn't want to inflict pain on you. God is for you. Why do you, you might think that's not even connected. Oh, it's connected. Because here's the deal. If someone's for you, then you can trust them. You can have faith in them. The reason we withhold trust and we withhold faith is because we're not sure we can trust that person. We're not sure that person's for us. I want to tell you God is for you. He's for you. He has a plan and a purpose. He loves you desperately. Have greater expectations. Have greater expectations, not because of who you are or because of your faith or because of what you can muster up, but because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I can feel or maybe even sound a little bit vulnerable, but the reality is that's humility. That's humility. Trusting God and believing he is for you means that you've come to the end of yourself. That you can be humble enough to say, okay, I can't work it out. And it's not vulnerable because you're not really being vulnerable before someone that wants to hurt you, right? Vulnerable is risky because the person might inflict something on you out of anything less than love. But God has already proven that he's for you and that he loves you. Think about that for a moment. Think about when, when someone says, 
I have faith, now bless me. I have faith, now bless me. We're actually making a statement of faith and trust in ourselves and our ability to perform. But acknowledging our own failures, our own shortcomings, and communicating our need for a savior is actually saving faith. That's actually the truth of the gospel to say, listen, I can't. I can't in and of myself. Get this, religion says, I've behaved, I've earned, I'm entitled. That's what religion says. I worked this out, and so now you owe me God. But Christianity, a relationship with God, says, God, help me. Help me, not because of what I've done or because of who I am, but because of what Jesus has done and because of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is trustworthy. That's the crux of the truth and implications of the gospel. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Listen, oh, you faithless generation, like you're still not realizing that, that you can have faith and trust in me and not rely on yourself. He's worthy. He's worthy of our worship and our praise because he's trustworthy. You see, worship is something we do because the object of our worship is worthy. Their glory is heavy. The weight of who they are is heavy in our lives. They're worth something, no matter what our circumstances are. We don't like that part, right? We like it better when it's like, okay, people get our praise and our worship when they prove that they provide us what we want. When we get what we want, then we shower with praise or adoration. But when you really, really understand the glory of God and the trustworthiness of Jesus, then you can understand that he is worthy of praise and worship even when our circumstances are not the way we expected. The two are not connected. God is good regardless of the circumstances of our lives. He is still worthy of praise. Hear that. If your worship of God is conditional based upon your circumstances, then you're living transactionally with God. It's an exchange. But that's not what God wants with us. And that's not what makes sense in the context of the truth of the gospel. God is worthy of our praise apart from our circumstances and situations. Listen, things may not go your way, but Jesus is still worthy of your worship. That's a tough one. Nothing went according to the disciples' expectations. Think about that for a second. The disciples are there. Scribes are there. This man comes with his son. And they try to cast out this demon and it does not work. And the disciples have just got to be beside themselves. Like, come on, God, I'm doing your work. I'm trying to help this kid out. Like, why is this not working? What's going wrong? This is embarrassing. God, I I can't believe you're not casting this demon out. The scribes are right here. They're watching. They're mocking. We're arguing with them. God, like... Don't you see I'm trying to do your work? Make things work out the way I expect. They were unable to set the boy free. What did they do wrong? Right here is where it all starts to come together. All the pieces that we've laid out up until now, they all start to culminate right here in verses 28 and 29. It says, And when he had entered the house, 
meaning Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now that might not seem super impactful or profound, unless you don't realize what Jesus has just said. Based on what Jesus has just said, the disciples were trying to cast the demon out without the authority of God in prayer. What the text is saying is that the disciples under their own power and under their own authority were attempting to exercise this demon. They were trying to cast this demon out apart from God. They were saying, I got this. Watch this, people. We're about to cast this demon out. We can do this. What? What in the world are they thinking? The disciples are attempting to cast out a demon without prayer under their own authority. That seems absurd. That seems like impossible to believe. It's craziness. I mean, could you imagine doing something significant without praying? Wait, maybe maybe it's not crazy. Maybe it's what every single one of us does. That in some of the most significant decisions of our lives, we look upon the experiences of our life and say, oh, I got this one. This is a no-brainer. I don't even need to pray about it. The disciples are doing something actually quite human. We're a little bit closer to the disciples in this moment than I feel comfortable with, honestly. They're making a significant decision. They're making a public decision and they're doing it under their own authority. We got this. That's what we do. That's what we do often. We say, I'm going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in myself because I know that I'm for me. The problem is that our perspective is limited. We don't know the whole story. We don't understand. And so so when it looks like things are coming undone, when it looks like things are getting worse instead of better, because i got to tell you, if, if you remember the scripture being read earlier, when Jesus prays over this boy and casts this demon out, it looked like the boy died. The father, for a split moment, if not longer, we don't know the time frame, had to be thinking, oh my gosh. I brought this, I brought my son to the disciples and couldn't do anything. And now Jesus kills him? The demons kill him as a result of Jesus? There has to be this confusion around this entire situation. If just for a moment, I want to tell you, it's a snapshot of the way we live our lives. Listen, God, I've tried everything myself. I guess now I'm going to give you a shot. Oh, wait, this looks like it's getting worse. It's because we don't have a perspective We're not sure that we can trust. It's all wrapped up into our expectations. I want to tell you that prayer is an admission that we can't. That's what prayer is. When we call out to God, when we pray, what we are saying is, God, you are big and I'm small. You see things I don't see. You understand stuff I don't understand. But we can trust and worship the one who can. I can't but I know God can. I believe. God, would you help my unbelief? 
I know you're at work here. I don't understand it. It hurts a little bit. It looks like it's getting worse before it's getting better. But God, I trust you. I don't like the circumstances. I don't like the situation. And maybe sometimes we're praying that prayer of trust with tears streaming down our face because of the pain and the hurt. And yet we have to believe that God is for us, that there's something at work we don't understand. That there's trials and tribulations in this life, but that eternity is long. And that our expectations can't be limited to what it is we think we understand. There's something greater at play. Do you pray first? Do you pray first? And and what I mean is, do you speak to God about the situations and struggles of your life? Maybe when you've come to the end of yourself or maybe before you come to the end of yourself. When you have heartache, when you have significant decisions to make. How about this? When you have extra. We don't think about that often. What about when you have extra? Do you pray and say, God, you've blessed us. What do you want to do with this? What's the eternal thing that you're bringing into our hearts and lives? Have you, if you have a family, have you sat down and prayed with your family and said, listen, we have this and we want to pray about God's direction. Would he give us wisdom as to what we should do with this? It's a different perspective. It's talking about the kingdom of God, not the system of man. Do you pray? Do you communicate with God? Because here's the danger. We can know of God. We can know of God. We can attend a church. We can look online every week. We can interact and engage in all of those things. But until you actually know God personally, until you've prayed, until you've assigned worship and praise to him, you won't trust him. You won't. Because he's distant. He's a God you know of opposed to the God you know. And so, earlier in that video, the video I talked about when I started things, the guy went across this passage and the logs and then he turned around to the people in his group and the people in his group trusted him because they knew him. They actually took their packs off and threw him their packs. And as they sunk, they just kind of walked along with it because they were prepared and they were ready. Were they happy they were getting wet? No. They were not all right with the circumstances, but they avoided a whole lot of heartache and pain because they trusted the person that was warning them about what was ahead. You see, do you know God? Do you trust him in the midst of the journey of your life? You see, because if you won't trust him, then you can't have faith in him because trust is the foundation of faith. When we trust, we worship by surrendering what is precious to us. You see, it's not vulnerability, like I said, it's humility. It's saying, okay, God, you're for us. And so I trust you. And so I'm going to move forward in faith. And in the areas that I'm not sure I can trust, would you help my unbelief? God, would you help me? How are you engaging God? As you think about the situations, the circumstances of your life, the relationships, the the schooling, all the different decisions that you make all the time, and you are making decisions all the time, even if it's to delay a decision, you've decided. How are you engaging God? 
I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge and, and it's unique and it may feel a bit like a risk. But the text requires something of us. And this is the challenge unique this week. The challenge is this. Write a song, a poem, or a note asking for God to help you in an area of unbelief. Now, the reason why that might be like, whoa, what? It's because I know a lot of you like, write a song. Are you kidding me? We wanted to, to challenge the creative aspects of our lives and the, the things that maybe we can't always articulate. We've talked a lot about praying and journaling and those different things in this journey. But what about these expressions of creativity that maybe God has given you? And if you're not comfortable to write a song, that's fine. But some of this may not see the light of day. Maybe it's a poem that you write just between you and God. Maybe it is just a note, a simple note asking God, will you help me? in an area of unbelief. But we want to challenge you to stretch yourself, to express who you are, and to communicate that you're willing to trust God, that you want to trust him, that you want to trust his expectations, that you want to have greater expectations. And now this morning, this morning you might say, I'm not sure that I'm at a a place to engage God on that level. And so for you, maybe it looks like a note or a conversation with God asking him to be the Lord and leader of your life. And that can be as simple as praying a prayer or even writing it out. Just admitting the fact that that you've been trying to, to live your life by trusting in yourself for long enough. And you're just done. God, I want to trust you. Would you forgive me of the sin of my life? Would you take the evil desires and would you temper them with your presence in my life? Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? You can begin a relationship with Jesus that easily this morning. And so if you're listening live, we want to encourage you to to click on the the request prayer button and you'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts and we can talk about the next steps. If you're listening or watching this later, you can always email us or check out our website and connect with us so that we can walk alongside you in this decision you've made. But we want to encourage you to begin a relationship with God. For others of you that are with us and you may have already crossed that line of salvation I want you to take time to respond creatively, to really carve time out. And if you feel comfortable, we'd love to see some of that. We'd love for you to share it. If you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. But I want to just challenge you to take time to to write a song, a poem, or even a note asking God to help you in an area of unbelief. Maybe it means taking those items and sharing them with others missionally. Maybe you have some of those things or maybe it's already a rhythm of your life. I want to challenge maybe some of you to say, listen, it's time that I I take that image that I drew or that note that I wrote or that poem and, and share it with a friend, family member, loved one and begin a spiritual conversation. I just want to just challenge you. I want to challenge you to engage God deeper this week, to grow your trust and your relationship with him. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that your engagement in our life is not contingent upon our quality of faith, Lord, but that it's just it's just us crying out to you. It's just a moment of of admitting and acknowledging that you are that you are for us and that you are trustworthy. And so, Lord, we worship you. We worship you with all that we are. We worship you with the direction and the leading and guiding of our lives. 
we declare ourselves available. We pray that you would be present in and through us, that you would lead us and guide us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excited to be with you next week as we continue in our journey of greater expectations. Until then. We are so thankful for our great morning together, and we have a couple thoughts and instructions to wrap up. This week's application is to write a song, poem, or note asking God to help you in an area of unbelief. First, you don't have to be a professional writer or songwriter to write a song, poem, or note. And unless you choose to share it, it stays between you and God. It's really about putting words to your unbelief and expressing that to Him. Having something tangible to look back on is a great way to remember what God has done in your life. Also, it doesn't have to be limited to something written. You can take a photo, make a video, craft or build something as a way to engage God about the circumstances in your life, your expectations, and your unbelief. Just as an example, Priscilla created something ahead of time to share with us. So here's one of the scriptures that I've been studying this week. For me, I realized that when I'm finding it hard to trust God, it's often because I'm believing lies that say God's love for me is tethered to my actions and my behavior. So taking time to make a visual reminder of scripture that I'm studying helps me internalize the truth of who God is and who I am to Him. It really is so beautiful. <laughs> but I will not be hand lettering anything. <laughs> and maybe you won't either. But we can all take some time this week to create something. If you want to share it to encourage others in our church, tag Centerway Church and use the hashtag CenterwayGEWeek3 and post it on your social media. There's no pressure to do that. It's perfectly fine to keep it between you and God. But if you're comfortable, we'd all love to see what you're processing. At least consider sharing it with your circle when you meet. And by the way, your kids have the same application. So if they're singing or writing or painting or building something out of Legos, encourage them and talk to them about it. We're really excited for you to worship in this unique way this week. And you'll wanna check out Monday's devotional video for more encouragement and some of the why behind this. We say every week that there are many ways to worship, and that includes something we get to do together if you're gathered live, which is singing. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship through song by finding the video posted on Facebook or singing along with the songs on Spotify. Search Centerway Church on Spotify and look for the Greater Expectations playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.